song. Haven't heard that one in a while, huh? Amen. Good song. Well, again, we're in our Everlasting Life lesson series, and uh, this is it. It should end tonight, okay, as we kick off, go right on into our 10 meeting. And so if you haven't gotten to figure it out by now, I guess either you're lost or you just are still lost, like you don't know where you fall, you know? But I think most of you got to figure it out. And if you don't, get it figured out. That's what we've been talking about, right? Anyway, in Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible says, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And we've been addressing that and dealing with that. And, of course, uh, how important is that truth? Well, I said that as we closed out this particular series, we're going to deal with some closing arguments. Kind of like if we was in a courtroom, Okay. Here's some closing arguments, and we took some time to address some things, and I'm not going to go through all of it because I do have another segment here 
uh, at the end, series highlights. So if we get to any of those, we'll touch on a few of the, of the highlights, and one of them's in this lesson. And so I don't want to touch on all of it, but we talked about Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, and we addressed that being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. And we talked about just how, you know, if you could lose your salvation by not living according to the word of God, then why would he have ever begun the work at all? Uh, he's going to perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. God's not going to start that work if he's not going to continue, complete it through your lifetime. It's just not going to happen. And again, we talked about the fact that we just don't invest in a piece of property unless we know it's our property because it may no longer be ours, right? I mean, if it's not really ours, then why, why invest in it? Well, God's investing in you. Why? Because you're his property. You've been bought with a price. Amen? So that's good news. And so we touched on that Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Then we went over to Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, and we addressed that being blotted out, that aspect of being blotted out and having uh, and how it says that he's he uh, uh, he said he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailing it to his cross and we spent time addressing that and talking about it matter of fact last week that's where we spent the majority of our time right there and so I don't want to go through all of that again but I do want to pick up kind of where we left off and uh, we're going to begin now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 through 18. So turn, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. So again, these are just some closing arguments. We spent five weeks addressing and dealing with biblical principles, outlining and laying out a foundation for all of this, putting some practical uh, uh, application to it. And now this last week and this week, we're just giving some closing arguments, some verses that, boy, just hit home when it comes to eternal life. Now... I, again, I, I'm, I'm kind of funny, uh, just so you know, I didn't call it, and, and some people get up and say, you know, pastor's eternal security series and stuff. I don't call it eternal security because the Bible doesn't call it that. Now, now, again, I'm not putting anybody down if they said that because that's what we use the term a lot, you know, eternal security. You have eternal security? Do you have eternal security? And we use that word a lot. But really the question is, do you have eternal life? Because that's what the Bible says. That's how the Bible refers to it. You know, again, we're real good in our country and in our culture of redefining the Bible. You know, we don't want to use biblical terms because sometimes they're just rather offensive. You know, uh, you know like for instance, you know, you, you, you're an alcoholic. No, you're a drunkard. You get where I'm going with that. Now, again, someone says, that's so offensive. No, that's so biblical. You get where I'm going with this, okay? You know, oh, you're a homosexual. No, you're a sodomite. Now, now listen, I know that that's offensive to people, but it's biblical. So I like to stick with the Bible. That way, if I ever stand in front of a judge, I can say, I'm only saying what God says. I stand where God stands. I, I, I position myself with God. And so therefore, I speak the way God speaks. If I'm, if I'm thrown in jail for, for taking up his position, I think I can live with that. But if I get thrown in jail because I don't do something politically correct and I've tried to be cute with my terminology or position or something, I'll tell you what, I may not be real happy when I'm sitting in there with a bunch of people who aren't looking at me all cross-eyed. I, I don't know. I, just, I don't know about you, but I want to stand where Jesus Christ stands. 
That's where I want to stand. And I don't do it perfect. I know that. I get that. I'm human just like you. But as much as I can, I want to try to use biblical terminology. Hey, listen, do you have eternal life? That's the question. Eternal life. Well, I don't know about that security. Sometimes I don't feel very safe. No, are you, do you have eternal life? If you have it, you have it. If you don't, you don't. And uh, so we're talking about 1 Thessalonians. And I want to show you now, as we go into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, every time, I spend a lot of time in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when I deal and address funerals, especially if they're believers. Can I, t- can I tell you, I don't have this long repertoire of verses and a lot of different things that I use at funerals. I'm going to be honest with you. I keep things as simple as I can. And the fact is, is that I love using this passage. I don't know that there's any greater passage that promotes and encourages us as believers than 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 when it comes to Christianity. I mean, it's an encouraging passage, and especially if there's a death in the family or something. Notice what it says in the passage. It says, verse 13, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. Ignorance is not a bad thing in and of itself. Uh, you know what ignorance is? Ignorance is not, is not knowing something, understanding something. Now, if, if someone says, what's the difference between being stupid and ignorant? St- stupid could be that you know some things, you're just stupid enough not to do it anyway. Ignorant, and again, I know I'm simplifying that, that terminology. Look it up in Webster, he didn't say it that way. But, but the fact is, is that ignorance is simply this. I, I don't know. Huh? You know, What? That's ignorance. Well, he says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brother. He doesn't want us as believers to be ignorant when it comes to this issue concerning them which are what? Which are what? Wait a second. I thought we were talking about death. He says, he doesn't even use the word death here, does he? Now, hold on. I think this is a very powerful... We're talking about closing arguments concerning eternal life. I think this is a very powerful passage when it comes to that. Remember I said earlier that so many of our passages we kind of put in a little box and we say, well, this is for, this one talks about eternal life. This one talks about marriage. This one talks about raising children. I'm telling you the word of God transcends all of that. And there are passages in the Bible that we can use for eternal life that don't address it specifically, but boy, in principle, they nail it. Notice what he says. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and I trust we do, I trust you do, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Now the word prevent means go before. Now hold on. Let's keep reading now. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And he goes on to tag it with the verse 18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Man, everything about this passage is life, 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 life. I like it. He says here in the passage that these are simply asleep. 
Now, you know, I think about that and, and, and I consider that, you know, no one that's asleep is really dead, are they? No one asleep is dead. At least I'm not aware of it. You know, Snow White wasn't really dead. She was in a catatonic state, right? And then when the prince kissed her, and obviously there was a wedding right before that kiss, then all of a sudden like that, she came too because she wasn't really dead. And you know what? The believer may be in a casket or the believer may be uh, being, a, 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 you know, um, a, what do they call that when they burn you up? Cremated. There you go. Are we allowed to say that in church? Of course we are. Speeds the process up quite exponentially, by the way. But nonetheless, the fact is, is that you may be in a casket, you may be being cremated, whatever it may be, but I'm going to tell you something. You are no more dead than the man on the moon, so to speak. You are as alive as you've ever been. That body may not be moving, but you're simply asleep. He says, man, what a powerful passage when it comes to eternal life. I'm going to die. Are you really? You really think about that. There's that element of death. We understand it. It's a physical death, but you're really not dead and neither will I be. That's, I mean, the Bible refers to us as being asleep. The picture is, here's a body that's before me. That body is not dead. That body is asleep. Because up from the grave is going to come another body. Wow, it's amazing. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 through 8 says, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. As long as you are at home. Now, again, we talk about this body as being a house, a tabernacle. It literally houses who you are and what you are. It's not who you are. It's your house. It's kind of like the home, the family. You live in a house, but that is not really the, the, the family. You know, it's just it houses the family. And the truth is, who you are isn't represented by how you appear on the outside. The truth is, is what you are on the inside is what matters. And you are simply housed by that old fleshly body you have. And as, as long as you are at home in this body, you are absent from the presence of the Lord, he says. But this is great. He goes on to say, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather... Isn't that an interesting statement? Paul the Apostle says, you know what? We are confident, I say, and willing rather. Willing rather. Willing rather to what? To be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord, he says. Matter of fact, he says, the fact is, is that I would rather be absent from this body and be present with the Lord right now. That's what he's saying. Man, we have the opposite idea today in our Christianity. I mean, most of the time we're singing the blues. We're bawling our eyes out. We got bad news. And the Apostle Paul's telling us, he's like, yes, yes, finally. And we're all like, <laughs> and I'm not saying I wouldn't be. I don't know. I pray to God that if I get that news one day, that I can honestly say, praise God, I'm closer to heaven now. 
I pray to God that's how I feel when I hear that news. But you know what? I don't think it's going to happen until I get close to him like Paul was. And you know what? It does help. Can I be honest with you now? And maybe I shouldn't say it. Maybe this is an excuse. But the old apostle Paul kind of got a real glimpse of heaven when he went up there. I mean, he saw something that I never saw. He, he saw something you'll never see. He literally was called up into the third heaven. He saw it with his own eyes. And that's why I believe he says in the passage, for we walk by faith. Faith helps us to see what we cannot see with human eyes. Let me ask you, if you had your choice to get, I mean, you got one week to live on this earth. Would you rather want to say, woohoo, or which one would you rather feel, which one would you want to feel like more? I'm not asking you, do you want to die necessarily this week? I'm asking you, if you did, though, would you rather face it with this, yes, amen, glory to God, and really mean it now? Or would you rather be like, man, this stinks. I tell you what, I can't believe this. Why me, God? Which would you rather feel? I don't know about you, but if I ever get that news, I want to believe. I want God to do something so supernatural in my life that I'm like, you know what, Lord, thank you. I'll be seeing you soon. I, that's how I want to be. And you know what? We can be. I believe that. I believe we can be, according to the Word of God. I believe He can give us the grace to feel that way. But we've got to walk with Him and be close to Him. As long as we're in the body, we are absent from the Lord. You and I shed this flesh, we are immediately found in His presence, immediately. Just like that, that fast. We're in his presence, faster than that even. It's amazing, isn't it? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. Amazing, just amazing. We are just asleep, just asleep. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope when I'm doing a, a funeral and there's a body of a believer there and I can say, do you know that Paul refers to them as being asleep because they're not really dead? Wow, isn't that wonderful? You know what? If you're alive in Christ and you have everlasting life, you're not really going to die because the moment you leave this tabernacle, this body, you'll be with him. You could care less about this body when you check out. And neither will I. Who cares? It won't matter then. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. Let's turn over there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. We are extremely uncomfortable with death, aren't we? Why? You say, because it's all we know. I, I think that's honestly, you know, in my own life, I, I think that's, a, that's an indictment on my faith, lack thereof. Think about those Christians in the early church who literally knew that their life was on the line every time, every time they stepped out the door, every time they were at home, every time they went to church, they knew their life was on the line. And yet they did it anyway. They knew their children's lives were on the line. They knew their wives' lives was on the line. 
and yet it didn't hinder them from worshiping God openly and for real. And you say, the underground church. Think about the underground church in China right now. They're bulldozing over homes. Well, come on, meet in my house. How many are going to offer to meet in their house if they're going to bulldoze your home and take you off to jail? Those believers in China, this is real to them. You know, in America, verses like this aren't real to us. We, we, all we know is, well, I'm just saying, I'm, just, I'm not saying that I got it figured out. Don't misunderstand what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that if we're going to get where we need to be in the next 10, 20 years, when persecution really starts hitting really, really hard, we better get so close to Jesus that he's more real than this that we live in. Otherwise, we won't stand for him. We'll kneel before the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. Here's another one of those closing arguments. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I, this passage is powerful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 11, we're going to read that in just a moment, but we are introduced to the judgment seat of Christ here. Now, this particular ish, uh, uh, situation or um, event is spoken of in other places in the New Testament as well. It's spoken of in Romans 14.10. I know you're in First Corinthians. Just stay where you're at. Let me read it. 14.10. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He goes on in 2 Corinthians 5.10 to say, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So we note that other places in Scripture address and deal with this same exact event. And again, it's called the judgment seat of Christ. Now, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, the Bible tells us over there, it says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now, I want you to notice in verse 13, he uses the phrase revealed by fire. Now, Paul says in other passages, in Hebrews 12, if Paul's the writer, mind you, he says, our God is a consuming fire. Now, here we see judgment taking place, and it's viewed as this fire in which stone, uh, precious stone and silver and gold and wood, hay, stubble pass through. And so we've got God now, he's performing a judgment that's taking place here. And he reminds us here of the seriousness of this judgment. I mean, it's revealed by fire. Fire is not that comfortable. You know, you get too close to fire, it burns. I remember the house down the street catching fire. And we couldn't believe it one night. We're sitting in our living room. Next thing you know, it looks like daylight outside. And the kids all of a sudden, they run over to the, the, the picture window there. They look out the window and they're like, wow, this is crazy. They're like, that house is on fire, mom. That house is on fire, dad. And we went to the door. We stepped outside. And you know what? It probably was at least 120 yards from our house. 
at least, probably 100, 120 yards away. We could feel the heat from the flames of that house on our face. It was hot. And those flames were kicking up in the air. Man, I couldn't believe it, how hot that fire was. And the Bible's telling us here that not only is God a consuming fire, but he goes on to say that it'll be revealed by fire. So what's at issue at the judgment seat of Christ? Well, it's not our position in the family, that's for sure. That's a settled deal. That's already done. God has settled that by securing us in the Lord Jesus Christ by the precious blood of Jesus. That's a done deal. It's already settled. But our performance in the family is in question. It's not our position in the family of God. It's our performance that's at judgment here, being judged here. And that's important to understand. We like to say, well, you know, I'm saved and it doesn't matter what I do. I'm on my way to heaven. It, it, you're correct. Salvation is of the Lord. We understand that. You're either saved or lost. It's all by grace through faith. I get it. But let me tell you something. There's somebody keeping record. This idea that you get saved and it's over with. I can just live how I want, do whatever I want, and it'll be cool. No, it won't be cool. It's going to be hot in a sense. You're going to have to look the Lord Jesus Christ, who is perfect and holy in the eye, and tell him why you dissed him for an entire lifetime after he gave his all for you. And that may not seem like a whole lot when you have to stand before a parent today and you could care less what they think. That may not like, seem like a lot today when you stand before your boss at work and you don't really care what he thinks or she thinks. It may not mean a whole lot when you got a teacher telling you you should have done your homework and you're like, whatever, I could care less. It may not matter if you're looking at a police officer today because, of course, we know they don't do any good. They're all bad. And I'm being, I'm being uh, that's all fake news, by the way. But anyway, the fact is, is that we, we don't care about authority today. We have re disregarded authority today. And therefore, we don't care what anybody else says or what they think about us. All that matters is what I think about me. But I'm telling you, one day when you and I stand before the God of, the, of, of creation, when we stand before Jesus Christ who is holy and perfect and far beyond and so far ahead of us, he doesn't think like us, he doesn't act like us, he doesn't even, even I mean, we don't even hold a candle to him. I guarantee you, it is not going to be pleasurable. It's going to be more than uncomfortable. Oh yeah, you'll be saved. So will I. But I do think there's a much more at stake than we realize. Because see, our performance in the family ultimately determines our position in the kingdom. So many times we forget this portion of it. I don't know about you, but we like to talk about what decision you're going to make on behalf of Christ right now. You're going to go to heaven or hell. And we're like, well, I'm not going to hell, so everything's good. Hey, wait, remember something. The investment you make in God, his word, and the things of Christ today will ultimately determine your position in that kingdom one day. Because Jesus Christ, he came the first time, and when he came the first time, he was maligned, mistreated, and mocked, and he was tortured. He went through horrible things on this earth. But I promise you, when he returns... He's coming back to establish his kingdom. And when he does, he's going to have a kingdom like Solomon's. And he's going to sit majestically on the seat of David, on the throne there. And he's going to rule and reign. 
And you know what? He's going to be looking for those that have been faithful in their lives in the church age to rule and reign with them. He's going to be looking for us to one day take our places beside him. What are we going to do in eternity? It's based on what you do now. And there are a number of proofs in the Bible. We think about the Lord's parable of the negligent servant over in Matthew 25. We think about the, the parable of the pounds. It teaches a similar truth even over there in Luke chapter 19. It's not just going to be a day of revelation. It's going to be a day of reward too. That's a wonderful thing to think about. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And again, the nature of that reward is not eternal life. It's not, it's, it's not living forever. Why? Because that's already been given to us. That's a gift. So that's not the nature of this particular judgment. Instead, it's simply our place in the millennial kingdom and our future with the Lord. There's going to be a lot of regret one day. Wasted time and wasted opportunity on earth and have to live with that for an eternity. Say, well, he's going to wipe away all tears, so I won't be sad forever. It'll be all right. Okay. All right. We can excuse it away all we want, but I think it's going to be something that's much much more difficult to deal with than we think sometimes. Now, I want you to notice how the passage ends, and this is really amazing, and this is why I've turned to it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, again, we're dealing with the judgment seat of Christ. But notice, we have a a, a reward judgment here, a a service judgment. Not a salvation judgment, a service judgment. Not a sin judgment, a service judgment. Notice what he says. He says, if any man's work shall be burned. Well, that goes right back to verse 12. We build upon our foundation gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble. It's going to be made manifest, right? The day is going to declare it. It'll be tried by fire, be revealed by fire. However, verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. I have this particular stock I've been investing in. It's a penny stock. It's not real stock like you invest in. It's penny stocks. It's what I can afford, okay? I feel like you're making fun of me now. But it went from here to here in the last week. I jumped all over. I thought, I, I thought it was going to go over a dollar. I, I bought it for 58 cents a share. I bought two and a half million shares. No, I didn't. But anyway, <laughs> I, I, I bought these shares and I thought, this is it, man. I'm going to score big. I'm going to make 100% on this. I'm looking at the track record all the way back a, a year ago, and I'm following it through. Oh, yeah, it took a bad dip over there. And, and, and you know, uh, it come, uh, I think it was March, of course, a horrible dip. We understand that, right? COVID and all that. Man, but it was, all, it was running over $1.20 a share. I'm looking at 58 cents. It's going to go back up there. It's already starting to climb. This is going to be a great return on my investment. It's, it's, it was down to 43 cents today. I wasn't happy. I mean, it, it bothered me. I just, I couldn't look at it. I wonder how it's going to be when we get to heaven one day. Oh, yeah. And we realize 
that we invested our money, our time, our efforts into something other than gold, silver, and precious stones. If this little bit of money, I'm talking about a little bit of money, affects me negatively like that here on earth, I can't imagine what it'll be like in heaven if I waste my years on worldly things. Now, listen, I mean, you're here. I get it. I know that. But can I tell you, there's no guarantee any of us will be here next year. And I'm not talking about heaven. I'm talking about just faithful to the Lord. We have to make sure we keep focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice again, verse 15. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. And I believe that loss will be a much greater loss than we can imagine. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. I don't know about you, but that encourages me. To know that if I'm a child of God and I am saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm literally, it's like me going through the fire. And I come out, I'm still good. I'll be saved yet so as by fire. Just like that silver and that gold and that precious stones went through that fire and they were unscathed, I will make it through. I'm coming through that judgment. I'm going to be just fine as far as my salvation. I don't know about you, but I find that to be very encouraging. That's why it's one of those, as I, as I put it, it it's, it's one of those uh, closing arguments. The Lord's been good to us. We talked about a lot of things through the course of this last, what, eight weeks or so. We talked, uh, obviously, about how we allowed the auditorium to represent eternity and how our life is represented by just a simple piece of paper just about that wide in comparison. And yet the moment that we put our faith and trust in Christ, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. From that very moment in time, forever and ever and ever we would have life. What a wonderful truth that is. We noted in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, along the way that even though our salvation is provided by our Lord Jesus Christ, we are still admonished to examine ourselves, to do it consistently. We noted that Paul was probably writing with the Judaizers in mind at that time. And how, you know, they would attack him continually, but they still claimed that they had a place with God. And those Corinthians, they demanded of the Apostle Paul that he would prove to them his apostleship, that he would somehow give them his credentials. I want proof, Paul, that you really are an apostle. He now challenges them to provide proof of their salvation. And you know what? The acid test, the acid test of our true salvation, our profession, that it is truly real is none other than simply this, the indwelling presence of Jesus Christ we found. That's the acid test. If Christ is in us, then we are saved eternally. If he is not in us, we are no more Christ than the lost man that we know on the street. 
I don't care how much we go to church, how much we read our Bible and pray. If Christ is not in us, then we are none of his. We said that salvation is by grace through faith, not by works. It's a gift from God and a gift of God. Therefore, no one can lose his own salvation because no person has ever earned it. And we talked about the, we had that cup of water. I think we still remember, hopefully, that cup of water, and we filled it up completely. This glass of water was completely full, and it represented the work of God or his grace in our salvation. You know what he leaves us no room for? He leaves us no room for pride, no room for our own effort, no room for our own personal investment. There's no room in that cup for anything other than the grace of God. It's all him. And we learned that nothing can separate us from God or his love. And we took the time to notice about seven things, six things that reasons why that was the case. We said, first of all, God can't lie. Two, you obeyed the word of God. Three, your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. We said you created a new creature in Christ. We also said you became the son of God, even as a child becomes one through adoption. We said you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And we talked about the idea that you're kept by the power of God. And then finally, remember these? Kind of concluded this whole deal with the facts, remember? And how they have to be out front. And then comes the faith. And then finally comes the feelings. And we talked about that and how vital and how important it was that we put the facts in their proper place, that we didn't allow our emotions, our feelings to dictate and determine our faith because our emotions and our feelings are like this. But the facts are found in the word of God the promises of God, and they are so consistent, and they are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we, our faith is rooted in the facts, we are safe and secure, and that will ultimately enable our feelings to be where they belong. Too many times we feel we're lost because we feel lost. What's the word of God say? What matters is what it says. See, when our feelings are driving our faith, we said that, we're going to find ourselves fearful, discouraged, and unstable. But boy, when I'll tell you, when, when the word of God and the facts are driving our faith, we're going to feel empowered. We're going to feel courageous. We're going to be confident. So that kind of sums up what we've been talking about over these last six, eight weeks and I hope that they've been a help to you and a blessing. But if you don't know for sure heaven's your home, we mentioned it the other day, you need to go to God and say, you know what? Lord, I've got to be honest with you. I haven't settled. I don't know for sure if I'm saved. I don't have it settled. I, I want to believe I'm saved. I said a prayer at some point, but I just always have these nagging doubts and I just can't get rid of them. Well, go to God and tell him that. And say, Lord, if I need to get saved, you tell me. Because, Lord, I know one thing for sure. The devil would never tell me to get saved. He may tell me that I'm not saved, but he'll never tell me to get saved. And if someone 
inside, and that would be you, Lord, is telling me to get saved, then I better just obey you. I'm telling you, it's not complicated, but sometimes it's not easy either, is it? There's a lot of forces at work when it comes to our salvation. There's spiritual warfare taking place. Well, let's settle it. Make sure you know for sure heaven's your home. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's say it together. Ready? John 3, 16. You ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 16. Let's do it one more time together because that's a great verse. Ready? And it sounds like most of you know it. And if you don't, you're great lip sinkers. You ready? Here we go, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 16. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for all you do for us and all you mean to us. Lord, we are certainly a needy people, but one thing we can know for sure is that heaven's our home, that our salvation is secure in Christ Jesus, that the blood of Christ is sufficient, that we needn't doubt, we needn't be plagued with feelings of doubt. We can simply trust you and your word. Father, if there be any that don't have it settled in their life or struggle with it, I pray they'd get it settled. May they just simply go to you and say, Lord, if I'm not saved, then Lord, you just tell me to get saved and I'll obey you. I just want to obey you. But Lord, if I am, then put a peace in my heart. Settle it in my mind. I don't want the devil to make my mind his playground. I want to be able to focus my attention on serving you, not on worrying whether or not I'm truly saved. Now, Father, do a work in our hearts, our lives, and bless us. And Lord, we're asking you to do a miracle this coming Sunday as we begin and kick off tent meeting and our revival time. We love you. We need you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet.